Good morning, Christ Prez. Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. Hear the word of God. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they saw him, sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulder upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellow said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present but he held his peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're in a new series in First and Second Samuel. These are Old Testament books that tell Israel's story as they transition from a ragtag confederation of tribes to a united monarchy. And today we see the beginning of that kingdom as the first monarch is chosen. Remember, This is Israel's story, but it's not just for God's ancient people way back then. It's for us. This is also our story. And what I want to focus on this morning is the way our passage brings both a warning and a comfort. A warning and a comfort. What's the warning? Here it is. You are free to reject God. That's the warning. You're free to reject God. Remember what we looked at last week, the people demand a king, and the story views this as a really negative development. Israel wants to be like all the other nations. Israel is ready to give up their identity as God's people. Up until this point, God had been ruling his people and had never failed to deliver them from their enemies. Time after time, in the period of the judges, God would raise up a leader who would liberate the people from their Philistine oppressors. And even before that, as our passage reminds us, God liberated his people from slavery in Egypt. In verse 18, we read this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. See, God is reminding his people of his past faithfulness. And in light of that faithfulness in the past, the implication is they can trust him now. The Philistine threat is no greater than the Egyptian threat. God led his people out of Egypt, and if they continue to trust him, they'll be delivered from their present troubles too. Only they don't trust him. 
That's what their desire for a king really reveals. God's people don't trust God. At the root of their demand is a desire to take their lives into their own hands. God and Samuel tell them this is a terrible idea, that they will end up enslaved, but they insist on their demand for a king. And God says, okay, give them a king. Well, here in chapter 10, we see this story continue. Samuel calls together the people of Israel for the first inauguration ceremony in the history of the kingdom of Israel. Now, this is a really big deal, an inauguration. (laughs) Uh, Just think about inaugurations in, in our time. Like when Queen Elizabeth dies and her son Charles becomes king, we know that this will be a big deal. Millions and millions of people will tune in not only to grieve the queen, but also to celebrate the new king's inauguration. Inaugurations of kings are a really big, special deal. But at this one, Samuel gets up and the first thing he says is, this is the worst idea ever. See, it's, it's such a downer. <laughs> Imagine at your graduation or, or at your wedding, <laughs> the officiant stands up and he welcomes people at this very special occasion. And the first thing he says is, this is a horrible idea. But let's get on with it. See, that's the tone of this scene. <laughs> Samuel is deeply grieved And he is grieved because God is grieved. Verse 19, we read this. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. See, basically, you're rejecting the one who loves you and has always proved faithful to you. Let's get on with it. Do you see the warning in this? God doesn't stop his people from rejecting him. God concedes to the people's demands and gives them what they are asking for. He allows his people to reject him. See, God is God. He has every right and all authority to simply say, no, you can't have a king. But he permits their choice. He allows them to go their own stubborn way. He doesn't stop them from rejecting him. And he won't stop us either. See, he gives us the ability to go our own way, to reject his love, to push back against his grace, to rebel against his rule. God allows us to turn from him. Now, we do it usually because we think it will make our lives better. God's people thought that rejecting God as king and making a king of their own would lead to real security and freedom. And we do the same thing. When life feels scary, when it feels out of control, when we feel threatened and fearful, our instinct is to take our lives into our own hands. We think that this is what will lead to our liberation and flourishing. But remember, the result is disastrous. You know, C.S. Lewis calls hell the greatest monument to human freedom. See, hell is the result of our going our own way. In Romans chapter one, Paul says that God gave them up to their rebellious desires. In other words, the consequence of sin is so often just sin. It it carries with it its own natural consequence and, and God lets sin run its course. The result of rejecting God as king and turning our own way leads not to liberation, 
but to slavery, not to provision, but to deprivation, not to fullness, but to emptiness. The result of rejecting the only source of light and life and love is always darkness and death. But God's people do it. And we do it too. We, we carry it around in our hearts, this little voice that says, leave me alone. I don't trust you to save me. I don't want you to lead me. I want to run my own life and do my own thing. See, it's absurd, right? I mean, it's like a fish saying, I'm sick of water. I want to be free to live on the land. We know how that ends, but God's people choose it. And God says, okay. Now, to be clear, he doesn't say okay because he doesn't care. We've seen that he cares deeply. When God's beloved people reject him, God is grieved. He knows better than any of us that that way leads only to destruction and ruin. His desire is that all would trust him and turn to him for salvation. But this is the warning of our passage. If we insist on our own way, if we demand a life without God, if we refuse to trust him and instead seek to save ourselves and to be the rulers of our own lives, God lets us. Family, can you see this in yourself? Deep inside our hearts, there is this voice saying, don't trust God. Don't submit your life to him. You'll lose your freedom. You'll lose your independence. You'll lose your self-sovereignty. He can't be trusted. He can't be relied on. He won't provide. He doesn't care. Can you hear that voice operating in your own life? See, the reality is God will not coerce your love. He's like a loving father who lets his beloved son take his inheritance and go off into the far country. See, God is meek enough and humble enough to allow us to go our own way. And that's the warning of our passage. God allows us to go our own way. He allows us to reject him. So, uh, there it is. And, and that certainly helps to explain why the world is so messed up and everything is in turmoil because we have a bunch of people insisting on their own independence and refusing to surrender to God's salvation and leadership. But where does that leave us? I mean, where does that leave us other than in darkness and in death? Our passage also brings a comfort. See, the warning is you're free to reject God. And you really are. But the comfort is, God is sovereign to work even that out for your salvation. God is sovereign. We see this play out in the biblical story in the most remarkable way. Uh, the way it's told in our passage and, and in this story of 1 Samuel is meant to highlight with some humor thrown in, uh, the unseen hand of God at work behind the tragic circumstances of human rebellion. In chapter 9 and the first half of chapter 10, which we skipped over, here's some of what unfolds. Saul, uh, his dad happens to lose all his donkeys. 
you know, I hate it when that happens. It's, it's bad enough to lose one donkey, but, but Saul's dad loses all his donkeys. So Saul and his servant go out looking for them. Saul and his servant just happen to be near a town where Samuel lives. They happen to run into a group of women who can tell them where to find Samuel. They happen to meet Samuel as they enter into the town. And then on behalf of God, Samuel anoints Saul as the chosen king. Then we get to our passage where the people, they set out to select their king by casting lots. Casting lots is basically like rolling dice. It's the most uh, random thing you can do, right? So random. So, so, So the people gather together and first they have to select the tribe that the king is going to come from. So they cast the lots and the tribe of Benjamin is chosen. Now within that tribe, there are different clans, different families. So they cast lots again, and the clan of the Mitrites is chosen. Interesting. Casting lots, just like rolling dice. It's the most random thing in the world. Well, now that they have the clan, they need to select the king from within the clan. So they cast lots again, and who is selected? Saul. The one who God has already anointed through Samuel. See, the people think that they're getting together to choose the tribe and choose the clan and choose the king by by rolling dice. But God is choosing the tribe and choosing the clan and choosing the king. Do you see this? They are rejecting God's rule, yet God rules over their process of rejecting his rule. And then when the people can't find their king because he's hiding in the luggage, It's God who points out where he is. (laughs) See, this is ancient Hebrew comedy at its finest. It's funny, right? I mean, they want to go their own way and make a king for themselves, but then the people aren't even able to find their king. God has to find him for them. You see, despite letting them go their own way, God is just intertwined in the affairs of these events and is at work to ensure his desired purposes. I love how Karl Barth puts it. He says, even in accepting Israel's plan, God can master it. Now, remember what the plan is. (laughs) The plan is a tragic plan. It's nothing less than rejecting God as king and giving up their identity as the beloved people of God. That's Israel's plan. And God goes along with it. He lets his people go their own way but he does not abandon his people. It's like somehow he goes with them even in their going from him. Bart again puts it like this. The grace of God is not extinguished or withdrawn in his apparent concession to their demand for a king. Now, do you see the comfort of this? Even in the saddest and darkest of human histories and human choices, we see that God is able to work out his good purposes, sometimes working in um, just absolutely mysterious and entirely hidden ways to accomplish his saving work. But do you ever feel like you've made a mess of your life or that your life has been made a mess of because of the foolish actions of yourself or others? See, our, our rebellion and our foolishness can make such a mess of things. We, we carry so many regrets, so many sorrows, so many things we wish could have, we, we could have done differently. 
Some of us have harmed others. Some of us have been harmed by others. Some of us have harmed ourselves. Yet if we trust the God of this story, there's hope. Hope that even in the darkest chapters, God is at work to carry out his good purposes for us and for the world. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, think of the Joseph story. In Genesis, Joseph is thrown into a pit by his brothers and he's sold into slavery. Did Joseph pray for rescue and deliverance? Yeah, you bet he did. Did God rescue and deliver him according to his prayers? No, he did not. Joseph is sold into slavery and his life is pretty miserable for decades. Where was God? But the story doesn't end there. We find out that it was only because he was sold into slavery, only because he was put into Potiphar's house, only because Potiphar's wife throws him into prison for an unjust cause, only because of all that, that Joseph becomes second in command in Egypt and saves hundreds of thousands of people from famine. And he says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish the saving of many lives. See, it's a comfort that God is sovereign. If God weren't sovereign, our freedom to go our own way would be the end of us. But God's sovereignty means we can trust that God is at work in mysterious and hidden ways, even in the silence, even in the pain, even in the tragedies that life brings. God is at work and his purposes are always good for his people. In our story, it's only because of the prophet's demand for a king that Saul is made king, and it's only because Saul is made king that David is eventually made king. And it's only because David is made king that he's ever in a position one day to look out his window and see a woman bathing on a nearby rooftop. Now we're jumping way ahead in the story, but what we learn is that David, just like us, has a tendency, a bent toward rejecting God's rule. David, just like us, has this desire lurking in his heart to run his own life, to take his life into his own hands, to not trust God, to push back against God's grace and love. And God lets him do it. And so David sleeps with this woman, Bathsheba, and he has her husband killed and he lies about the whole thing, which is all tragic and it's horrible, but which doesn't change the fact that God is sovereign. And so what we see is that our sovereign God takes all of that tragic mess and through it brings us our true king. And so when Matthew gives us Jesus's genealogy, we're reminded that David was the son um, that, that, um, that after David was Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And, and the wife of Uriah is who? Bathsheba. Bathsheba, there it is. All of that because God's people reject God as their king. See, God works our tendency to reject his salvation and leadership into his plan to save us and lead us. 
Will you let this comfort you, family? You're free to reject God's rule, but, but even that does not mean there is no hope for your future. God is able to take the worst parts of your story, the, the, part, the points of uh, deepest unfaithfulness, the places you worry might be absolutely unforgivable, insurmountable, he works them into his good plan. You cannot write yourself out of God's script. You cannot thwart his plans for your good. You are not forgotten. He loves you this much. His silence is never absence. Nothing is beyond his redemptive reach. Will you trust that? Verse 19 again. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and distresses. You have rejected your God who saves you. It's all right there. We do reject him. We totally reject him. I mean, when God shows up as one of us, what do we do? We drive him out of town and we put him up on a cross. And still he saves us. But more, you see, that's how he saves us. In and through the rejection. He takes our rejection of him and he works it out for our good. We have rejected our God and he saves us. That's how humble he is. That's how sovereign our God is. This is his love for you and me. Trust it today. In Jesus' name, amen.